You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run Walsh. If it's first and 10, Walsh. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Chiefs' kingdom, welcome into another edition of the AP Out of Structure podcast. My name is Ron Cobb Jr. I'm the lead analyst at ArrowheadPride.com. Bringing you in for a second straight episode, but don't worry, everybody. Do not worry. Do not fret. That does not mean we're missing Stags again. He is back. Matt Stagner is back with us, uh, debut, you know, debuting as the the co-host, I guess. You know, the the side chair, usually the one doing the Stags, the, the host and bringing it in. But uh, you know, we're trying to save your voice a little bit. You know, you're a little you're a little hoarse right now. Tell the people how you're feeling, Stags. Hey, I appreciate it, Ronnie. Yeah, this is my. I was joking. This is my Michael Jordan flu game. Uh, with the only similarity being that we both happen to have the flu. Uh, I'm recovering. I'm here. I'm fighting through it. Uh, we're we're going to bring this this W home uh, one way or the other. You're pretty tall, Stags, aren't you? Like, I got to imagine you're pretty – I mean, Michael Jordan wasn't super tall, like 6'6". Six, six. You got to be a little close. There, yeah, I'm 6'3". Right? He's 6'6". Six, six. That, that's, you know, it's ballpark. But, uh, but that, right? that's where the comparisons end. Well – we're not going to be talking too much basketball today. I'll say that too much. Michael Jordan. Um, no, we got a preseason game to talk about folks. Appreciate you tuning in. First of all, um, obviously um, appreciate you asking your questions. We're going to, we're going to get to them a little later. Well, we do have some preseason football to react to. Finally, it's that time of year. It's a beautiful time of year. Sun's still really hot in Kansas city. It's not, it doesn't feel like fall yet, but it does feel like fall a little bit. Cause we got football on our televisions. So yeah, let's get into it. Sex. Let's talk about preseason week one. Uh, what have you thought about the preseason so far? What are you thinking? You know, I'm sort of reminded that you can't tell a lot about the team from from a preseason game, especially the first preseason game, at least not after the first quarter or so, right? Like, I think you saw what you wanted to see from the first team, offense and defense. They got out of there without with only one major injury uh, that we'll talk about a little bit. Uh but from there on, it's really just about the individual performances, how some of these new guys looked on the field, like you mentioned. Uh, and, and so from that, I think we can take a few things. But but obviously, nobody cares about the final score. Nobody cares about the, the overall uh, outlook. Uh, you can't read too much into the fact that they, you know, the second team did absolutely nothing <laughs> or the, the second half, excuse me, with the third and fourth teams did absolutely nothing. So uh, really, it's just about, how do some of these new players integrate uh, into the system? Uh, who's really, you know, reinforcing what you've seen in training camp so far? Exactly right, and and I, I like the individual point um, in terms of 
you know, there's there's not much you can take away uh, from the entire team. You do have to kind of look at individual players and how they performed. And that's what I did this week uh, for the site. If you go on the site, you'll see right now I have the what we saw from the first team offense, just the breakdown of it. It was only one drive, but it was 11 plays. So there was quite a bit to, to take away from it. Um, and, and again, individually. And, and the first thing I kind of looked at, I'll, I'll start here is, you know, there's a lot of good from that drive. Right. But, you know, I do think the offensive line, you know, a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, was not as impressive as, as they could have been, right? I, I, you know, Mahomes gets hit twice, right? And then this is where I want to bring in. We'll, we'll start with the questions early a little bit because this is a related question from the Rich. With our O line being ranked and considered one of the best in the league, how concerning is it that Mahomes took two hits on his only drive? Which player was at fault for them? So he leads me right into what I talked about in the article. You know, I, the, the little bit of the worrisome thing is that it there was kind of three people that were at fault for two hits. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'll get into it. I, you know, the first, the first pass or the first time he got hit, you know, it was actually a completion to Kelsey, but just Wiley just, you know, I, I think he just didn't recognize the blitz coming off the edge, which should have kind of signaled to him that there, you know, there's probably going to be a rusher, you know, the rusher over him is going to come to the inside of me, not to the outside like he usually does because there's a blitzer coming to my outside. Um, so he lunges, lets the guy get inside him and then he smacks Mahomes. And then on the next time Mahomes gets hit, which was actually it, it you know, his arm gets hit as he threw. It would have been a touchdown to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I have, I did tweet that out, so if you need to go see that for a visual of it, it would have been a touchdown. And what happened is, just seems like Orlando Brown sets, you know, way, he oversets way too much to the outside, allows the guy to just win easily inside and get right into Mahomes' face as he throws and hit him in the arm. I just, it's just not a great performance from the starting offensive line. If seven times you drop back, two of those times, your quarterback's getting hit in places he shouldn't be getting hit. Um, but, that was no, just I one thing. You didn't mention any of the interior offensive line there, Ron. Is it just the tackles we're worried about? Yes, and thank you because I I, I should have mentioned Trey Smith. He was the third guy on that second quarterback hit. It, it was just weird, man. I don't know. It looked like he was almost just like didn't get out of his stance right, or just I don't know, just almost a little lazy out of his stance. But guy just blows by him and forces Mahomes to at least think about it. it didn't hit Mahomes, but it did kind of force Mahomes to be a little uneasy with the throw. And again, Orlando Brown's pressure forced a quarterback hit. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I will say, you know, there's a lot of good to look at from the offense. First thing, you know, I think we saw good chemistry between Mahomes and MVS on that one third down play. That was awesome. We saw a little bit of Isaiah Pacheco mix in with the ones. That tells you something. But, you know, I, I do think one of my main takeaways was that, you know, and, and I know the second team OL wasn't good either, but I just, I know I, I would have liked to see the first team offensive line protect Mahomes a little better for a preseason game. I, I think it would have been nice to, see them a little more uh, attention to detail and, and that kind of thing. It just did seem like a, a few of those reps were kind of mental, mental, um, you know, mental mistakes stag. So I didn't, I didn't really like what I saw from them, honestly. Ron's bringing the negativity here on a I flawless am. drive, you know, that resulted in a touchdown. Um, and then, you know, they got out of the game again with, with the injury to Blake Bell, uh, notwithstanding, you got Mahomes out of there without being hurt. He was smiling, talking about how he got the hit that he wanted to take. Uh, out of the way and uh uh you know i thought that the way he distributed the ball was a good sign and it was what we had been wanting to see out of this offense so you talk about how do you replace tyreek hill well it's not one-to-one it's going to take a whole bunch of receivers they brought in a whole bunch of receivers and just about everybody caught a pass uh from Mahomes in, in that in that drive uh including the fullback you know, for those fullback lovers out there, it, it was uh, you know it was good to see Burton get involved 
convert both of his touches into first downs because that's all he does. And so I thought they moved the ball effectively. Uh, I thought they they look like they're on the same page. The only play that I was like I cringed on a little bit was that that MVS pass because you, you that's a throw that Mahomes normally completes. I didn't catch the first time around that he had gotten his arm hit. So that's right. uh, that's good information there. So otherwise, I think you got to be encouraged with what you saw from the offense. I love the Sky Moore toe tap catch. Yes. Uh, you know there was there was a handful of those plays early on where you're like, all right, that's what we needed to see. Check that box, get them out of the game, and, let, and let's uh, let's see what the backups have. Yeah, and one other thing before we move on is is I did notice Clyde Edwards-Hilaire have a really good blitz pickup. It was actually on the play that he Mahomes got nailed. Um, that blitzer that came off the edge that Wiley should have understood is going to you know force his defensive lineman to take his inside shoulder. Clyde came up and, and stalemated him right, you know, right outside the pocket so he couldn't get into Mahomes' space. So you like to see that from Clyde because we saw a little later in the game Ronald Jones tried to pass pro and it was very ugly. So I think that's a yeah. good sign for Clyde. Yeah, I mean, Clyde, obviously, you know, there's no question that he's the number one running back. I don't see that yeah, changing. Yeah. Uh, it was – I thought he was reasonably effective in what he was given. There wasn't a lot to take from his actual production – uh, but just the fact that he got in there was the first guy in the, in the game. And then Pacheco being the second guy and then getting him out so quickly, uh, you can take a lot from, you know, when people come into the game, even more so than what they actually did when, with their snaps in some instances. I think Pacheco was one of those that you could really read a lot into the fact that he was the first running back off the bench and that they quickly got him out of there. Uh, and He didn't see the field the rest of the game tells you what you need to know about his role in this offense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like to see that too um, because, I mean, the stuff he did on the field in the plays, I mean, the, the catch he had, it was great contact balance, right? I, I did think that was impressive to see him, how quickly he popped up from that hit. But on the run, I do think, you know, and again, it's his first run of his NFL career. I'm just, I'm just observing individuals play. You know, he ducks his head and just runs right into the line when – you know, you do have to do that sometimes, but you shouldn't just duck your head. You should keep your head up as you just barrel through a line when you have to at times because, you know, there could always be the case where you stay on your feet and find a little bit of a seam and, and take off. So, yeah, there's just there's there's teaching lessons. But the main thing is that Pacheco is with the first team offense and again gets out so early. It, I, it's, it's hard to deny that he's the team's number two back. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can't I don't see how, you know, I know McKinnon is a veteran, so maybe that's why he, he doesn't get those snaps right there. But. I don't know, man. I think they really like what they like, what they have in Pacheco. You can tell. Well, this is going to be the, you know, Ron's been spewing negativity so far. So I got to jump in here a little bit. There was a lot of positive to be taken from George Karloftis and, and how he played. And I think a, a lot of people are taking that and, and really running with this idea that, uh, that Karloftis was, was surprisingly good or that he was, uh, that we were all wrong about him pre-draft, and I know I caught a little bit of flack in the tr- in the draft process uh, because he was a player that I, I was hoping the Chiefs would not take. I was I was visibly disappointed in the draft show when it, when it actually happened, uh, but there was a reason for that, and it wasn't that I thought he was going to be a bad player. It was that I worried that some of his limitations, um, you know, would keep him from being a dynamic player as a pro, and that's what you you hope to see if you're taking a first round pass rusher. Is it somebody that can be dynamic? Now, we did notice in the draft process that Karloftis in 2021 was different from Karloftis in 2019. 
And I think you saw some flashes of 2019 Karloftis in this game. Um, but also you saw him do pretty much what you expect George Karloftis to do. Exactly. He played hard. You know, he, he got after it. He had some bull rush that, that was fairly effective in getting close to the quarterback. He lined up from a wide nine position outside of the tackle and had, and had a straight line to the quarterback. Uh, and he took that straight line and, and got close to the quarterback. Um, even he talked about after the game, what do you need to work on? He's like, it's about all of these opportunities where you get close, but you don't finish, right? Uh, it's about taking those, I was close, and making it into, into plays that he made. Now, he did have a sack. It was the exact kind of play that I, I assume that he'll get most of his sacks on throughout his NFL career is where he's fighting through a block. He's continuing on the play, not giving up on it. Um, you know, he put a, a variety of moves out there, um, uh, you know, to, to get to that, to that finish uh, that he did have. Uh, so, you know, all of that to be said, he played exactly how I was, I would have expected him to against a really bad bears offensive line and really bad Bears second-team offensive line uh, still. And so uh, I want to make sure that I'm I'm still being clear about where we see Karloftis in the fact that uh, we should still temper our expectations. He's not going to be a 15-sack guy just because he got a sack in his first NFL action. Um, don't expect that's that every week, but uh, he did show some positive signs. I think you got to be happy with what you saw from him just not, you know, let's not make it more than what it is, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, I will say I did not expect to see that technical of hand usage. That did definitely did su- pleasantly surprise me. I do think on that, um, you know, on the one he almost hit the quarterback, you know, he almost got the ball out on the, you know, the wide nine one you spoke of. Yeah, I, I, it was a great job of showing his hands real quick, making the lineman think he needs to meet his hands and then coming back under, you know, flashing the hands and coming under. I think that was a great hand usage on the sack too. I think you did see some some really smooth hand usage for sure. But I I, I think that was that was already kind of part of his game. I do think Frank Clark has helped. I'm sure Frank Clark's teaching has helped him maybe understand it a little more. But he was he was a pretty fundamentally sound player. I, I think I kind of forgot how much of how fundamentally sound he was. But I'm with you, man. I I I don't think we saw anything that like changes my expectations for him this year, right? Like what I think of him now is still what I thought of him, you know, before, but it was nice to see, you know, at least he didn't come out and just get the dominator. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the only positive or not the only positive, but that's the positive of this. So. No, I I think those are both perfect points because uh, he's definitely a student of the game. He's definitely working at all the details and the finer points of it. I know he's been working with, with Mahomes trainer and some of the, you know, some of these other uh, things. And I think that work is going to pay off for him. He did look active. He looked, you know, when he had a chance to close uh, uh, on the quarterback that was scrambling, uh, you know, he was able to close pretty well. Like he showed enough speed, you know, to, to be functional there. What do I was really worried about in, in what everybody who had anything negative to say about Karloftis coming out of the draft, they, most of us watched that Ohio state game from 2021. And, and in that game against legit NFL tackles, he got swallowed up. And so I was worried that when he faces NFL tackles every week, that he's going to be, he's going to be a little bit swallowed up, a little bit stonewalled. He's not a guy who can line up 
tight up against the tackle and beat him one-on-one uh, as often as what you'd like. We still haven't seen him do a lot of that. Uh, and the Bears tackles, the Bears second string tackles may not be any better than <laughs> Ohio State's uh, first stringers were last year. Uh, but, uh, and so there, he still has, you know, a little bit more to prove. But he did look like he belonged. The game didn't look too big for him. He didn't look like he was overwhelmed. It looked like the work has been paying off. Um, and so I think the arrow is pointing up for him, uh, or it's at least pointing in the direction we thought it was going to be. Uh, just, uh, I just don't think we need to go overboard and say that he was, I saw somebody say he was the best player on the field uh, or, you know, the, that it was, you know, a uh, that he jumped off the screen and, and you know, in a remarkable performance. Uh, I think that might be going just a little too far. Yeah, I, I am with you. Uh, but Stags, what is preseason for, but not to overreact to, to things like this. So, I mean, stop being a party pooper, even though I was the one telling, telling the listeners that our offensive line sucks right off the bat. Um, <laughs> no, obviously, uh, you know, th- th- this is why I love our pod stacks, honestly, because I don't think you get this same sort of tr- genuine, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say pessimism, but just in terms <laughs> of, I-, I do think, you know, we tend to be pretty grounded with, with our takes at times. And I do think in the preseason, that's important. Well, let's, um, let's get yeah. back to the positive takes though. Exactly. What, that's, yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite play from the, from the first preseason game? Man, there was a few, right? You know, obviously the first drive of the offense had a, had a few that I liked, but man, I got to give it to a guy that I actually did say I was looking forward to watching in that first preseason game, and it's wide receiver Justin Watson. He he came out and led the receiving group in every receiving category, had the only receiving touchdown. Well, I guess Blake Bell's was a touchdown, but had a receiving touchdown towards the end of the half, you know, goes up and gets a jump ball in the end zone, you know, with, with defenders on him and, and grabs it. It was actually not the only contested catch he had. Uh, you know, I, I, I was a big fan of Justin Watson's touchdown. I think Shane Bouchelle also though had a great throw on that. You know, you listen to the pro the pro the post-game press conference and, you know, Mahomes kind of made it sound like, you know, he, he would, he would have played a conservative there and Bouchelle kind of said, screw it. I'm going for the big play. And, and he got it, you know? And so, you know, we, we know Bouchelle is kind of that guy that, you know, is kind of trying to make the case to be QB two at some point. We've we've known that, you know, Pete Sweeney has, has mentioned it recently, but it did happen last year where Shane Bouchelle we did try to get stolen off the off the practice squad by the Arizona Cardinals and the Chiefs did have to make a move to make sure he stayed around. So it's good to see Bouchelle kind of make a play. But overall, I think Justin Watson's, you know, that touchdown was just it was a really good play. And it just kind of solidified that he's going to be, you know, I, I think if he needs to play, you know, receiver, you know, in the regular season, I think he's going to be a reliable option. Absolutely. He's going to start, you know, demanding some actual snaps on on offense uh, pretty soon, and there's there's not going to be that many to go around. But I think I think it is pretty clear that he's that number five receiver. That was a great play. That was a lot of fun. Um, I think the most fun play of the game was was uh, uh, the safety Justin Reed kicking the uh, the extra point at the end of the half. That was awesome for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, not necessarily that there's any competition for Harrison Butker's job. But that Andy Reid's letting them have some fun. Uh, nobody enjoyed that more than Justin Reed. He was, you know, dancing off the field and on the <laughs> sideline. Uh, he was downright giddy in interviews about that right afterwards. Uh, that was just awesome to see. It was a lot of fun. Obviously well executed as well. And, and maybe they do have uh, an actual backup kicker role for him. And it turns out they needed it the very next day in training yeah. camp when, when Harrison Butker uh, has a, a minor injury. 
redid all the kicking on Monday at, at camp. Wait, Stags, you're telling me you're not on the board or not on the train of, of getting rid of Bucker because we have a player that can do both? Why, you know, let's save that roster spot and, and use it on something else besides a kicker. Why, why would you not want to do that? <laughs> I mean, I, I love the idea of players, you know, let's go old school, leather helmet style, and everybody plays offense and defense and, <laughs> and uh, special teams. And yeah, we've over the years had so many different ideas for saving a rocker spot <laughs> right. by guys that could do more than more than one job. Normally it's a tight end slash fullback, but I think this is that, the most creative one yet though. Let's be I mean you gotta be honest. Flash kicker is 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 at the top of the list now. Well I I know we kind of or you're the one who put together the winners and losers for the site after the game. And I that's always a great article, you know, a great way to recap the game, a great way to kind of you know, realize who had good games, who had bad games. If you're a listener and you wanted to check out our post game coverage at the site, so you're looking at that. We're kind of thinking of winners and losers. Any uh, winners you want to kind of shout out here? I mean, I, I think you you mentioned probably the, the the biggest one, the most obvious one is is the receiver in Watson. The the way that he played and and I thought he just he looks like he looks the part. He looks like an experienced NFL receiver. Uh, Strong hands catcher, right? He went up yeah. and got the ball. Um, definitely plenty of speed, um, you know, to make some plays there. Uh, and so with his special teams ability, I, I think that, you know, for him to have a, a, a performance like that really validates his, his value on the roster. You know, unfortunately, that comes at, at the expense of some other guys on the roster. And, and, and so as we put together the winners and losers, that was one of the winners. And I think you can directly correlate that with with a guy on the losers list, which is which is Josh Gordon, and this is somebody who, you know, we've been rooting for for a long time, and I think the Chiefs have really been rooting for. I think Andy Reid has really uh, been trying to give this guy every opportunity, uh, but sooner or later you have to take those opportunities and turn them into production. Gordon got a lot of snaps last year, didn't have a lot of production, had had some drops issues, uh, had some some route running issues and things like that. Gets into the preseason game this year, uh, almost makes a spectacular play. Didn't get his feet in bounds, um, and then you know was over two on his other targets. Right, so you know it is a. Uh, it's got to be frustrating for Josh Gordon, having been a, an elite receiver in this league, and not not be able to do, you know, really anything of note. Uh, I, I think his roster spot is in in severe jeopardy at this point. He's just running out of chances to to show that he's back and show that he's he's actually uh capable of being productive yeah you're right uh you know i, I jordan was someone i highlighted as someone who needs to make plays in the preseason and he he did get some opportunity i'm not saying he got perfect opportunities right you know i'm not saying he should have he should have definitely made both of the sideline catches but if you want to make the team you kind of have to turn those into catches at some point um and kind of show them that you can actually make a play at, at some point because you're right man last year you know, countless times he was get, he was given the opportunity to make a play and he just dropped it or wasn't able to make the play. So, yeah, I I I, I feel that you know, and Darius Fountain was somebody else that that kind of had a you know he had a couple good catches, kind of someone that seems to be in that six receiver spot now. But we talk about favorite plays, right, Stags? You know, and and we're again we already admitted that we're pessimists here, so we'll talk about some least favorite plays too. Um, and and I'll start here real quick and and. This is more just like a, a signal or like a sign of things to come when I mention the Josh the Joshua Williams. Uh, you know, he, he had great coverage, right? He was tight on the coverage. The guy still caught it. And I even want to mention, too, 
a Legereus Sneed, you know, in that second drive of the game. Uh, it seemed like he just didn't get good footing or just didn't get a good jump. And Moon, you know, the receiver Mooney caught it over him on that deep ball. I, I say all this to kind of just say that it, it is maybe a microcosm and, and something that we need to, you know, kind of really embrace this year is that these corners are so young and these defensive backs are so, I mean, not all the defensive backs, I guess the safety group, the top two are, you know, vets, but man, there's a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience in the secondary, man. And there's going to be times where it's frustrating, man. There's going to be times where, yeah, they're going to get picked on and, you know, they may look, you know, they may look like they're in good position or they may look like, you know, they're having, you know, good games But all it takes is one of those two plays where the receiver makes the play and the cornerback doesn't. And I know that can happen to anybody, but I just think especially this year with all this inexperience, all this youth, there's going to be some growing pains, man. And I know we saw it even last year towards the end, you know, that Bengals game drove us crazy, right? The regular season game uh, with Spags trusting his corners on islands. But I think it could be even more frustrating at times this year, just because, yeah, if you do have, you know, even McDuffie, man, I know we didn't see much from him on Saturday, but you know, just because he's a first round pick doesn't mean he's not going to have his own struggles. So those two plays just kind of made me remember that this group is going to have some growing pains this year for sure. Now you're referring to the, the Tajay Sharp uh, catch uh, against, against Williams, right? So the, the sideline play where, where uh, Williams is in perfect position, the quarterback throws it basically out of bounds uh, mm-hmm. and the receiver goes and makes the play on it. Right. Um, so yes, yes. I, I take a little bit of, uh, you know, objection to that I'll, I'll say just because i think i've always said and i'm not the only one who said this this is not original per se but a perfect pass the great catch can beat perfect coverage just about every time like it, it just happens sometimes guys just make a play so i feel like a little bit of that you're letting your, your the ghost of of cornerback past come back and haunt you here um and so to me when i saw that play i was like yep yeah, Give that guy credit; he made a play. You know, I, and 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 I think cornerbacks specifically have to have that short memory, you know, to to be able to just say, "Yep, guy made a play on me this time. I'll, I'll get him next time." And, and and so hopefully that's how Williams approached that. I'm not too worried about it based on just that play. Now, a lot of people have said that they've seen something similar in camp from Williams. That there have been a lot of highlight catches made against him, as good as he has been. So if it's becoming a theme, then then maybe I'll buy it. Based off of that play alone, I'm not as worried about it. Yeah, again, like I tried to mention at the top, it's more just like a sign of things to come in terms of like this DB group is going to get picked on at times, even when we they look you know like they're you know doing well. You know they're still young, they're rookies. We like Joshua Williams, we like Jalen Watson, we like these guys, but you know we're we're getting excited about rookies. So let's just make sure we understand that they are rookies. They're going to have some growing pains. Fair enough. My least favorite play was, you know, was it from a guy who was productive last year uh, in Derek Gore? Yeah. When he, when he fumbles the ball uh, on top of the two drops that he had, you know, you, you just look at a guy and say, all right, there's a there's a competition for the, for roster spots at running back. And he had a chance to make his case, um, to reiterate his case from last year. I think he's a player that, that the coaching staff likes. Uh, and they were happy to have around, and they're comfortable with him. But man, if if he's got ball security issues and limited action, he, he's he's really going to have a hard time making his case that why they should keep, you know, four running backs and, and him being one of those. Uh, and then obviously, it's not just Gore that struggled. 
Uh, you could also throw Ronald Jones in that list there and say that for two guys that are trying to make their case for the roster, no, Jones didn't really have any negative plays per se. He just didn't have any any positive uh, production. Uh, Gore had what I would consider three negative plays with two drops uh, and a fumble in in, in what five uh, attempts. And, and so you know, you've got two players there. Neither made their case uh, for the roster. I think you could argue that both are now behind three running backs and, and the Chiefs may not keep either one of those guys. Yeah, I know. No, you're right. I do think going into the game, we all kind of had a feeling Jones was, you know, obviously on, on the bubble pretty firmly. But, you know, more someone that, you know, on the bubble too. But I, I, I did definitely think there was a chance that if they kept four, they could still get rid of Jones and keep Gore as that fourth back. I definitely thought that was the case. And I really don't think there's a great case for that anymore, man. I, you know, three mistakes. That's that's a lot, Stags. That's a lot. That is a lot, and also, again, you pay attention to when players come into the game and, and how long they play in these preseason games, and you got Ronald Jones deep into the second half with, with fourth-string offensive linemen, and, and you can't blame him for not producing with that. Um, you know, it's it's the chicken salad argument from, from Hard Knocks a few years ago, right? That there's, he, he's not going to be able to produce in that situation, but, uh, you know, that doesn't bode well for where he stands. And, and he's clearly, you know, not the second string. He's not competing for first string. He's competing for third string. And, and, and sometimes he, he's, he's showing up with the fourth string. And I think that's, uh, uh, that's all you need to know about where Ronald Jones stands on, on this roster. And for a veteran, that's not, uh, that's not a, not a positive thing. No, it is not. It is not. And it's surprising, right? We all kind of thought Jones for sure had a role on this team, you know, all summer. So it is interesting, you know, and we're talking about guys that are, you know, maybe on or off the team. Well, we've already seen some guys cut cut from the team, right? And and notably two corners, uh, two veteran corners, two guys that have, you know, DeAndre Baker obviously was cut, you know, a little bit ago. I think it was about a week or so ago now. And then we saw this first wave of cuts, uh, you know, getting down to 85 on Monday. Lonnie Johnson, who was signed or traded for this offseason, gets cut. So two veteran cornerbacks that gets cut or two veteran cornerbacks get cut stags. I mean, what are your takes on this? I mean, do, do what are your strong, you know, opinions on why, you know, I mean, it's got to mean something, right? Two veteran cornerbacks getting cut. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody agrees that it number one bodes well for the for the youth movement, right? So they they invested heavily at cornerback in this draft and, and they must be comfortable with those guys having roles this season, making the roster this season um, to, to cut the, the really the only veteran options they had uh, for, for depth there. I mean, we knew that the cornerback room is going to be led by Snead. It's going to be led by McDuffie, you know, and Fenton. Those are your top three guys, no matter how you slice it. Uh, but Williams has, has been a, a positive, you know, th- this preseason. And then, the guys who I thought maybe on the outside looking in, who I think are beneficiaries now, um, you've got Jalen Watson and you've got Nazi Johnson, the the pair of what seventh round picks, right? That mm-hmm. you assume that those guys are are you know potential practice squad players before you before moves like this happen. Now all of a sudden you've got a pretty strong case that both of those guys could be on the roster uh, as rookies on the 53 with actual roles where you'll see them on the field. So it definitely bodes well for the youth movement. Yeah, exactly. Now I, I 
I'm glad they did it. I'm it's something that I didn't think would happen, to be completely honest. I was not very confident that, you know, they'd want to part ways with both, uh, you know, veterans. I think they I thought they'd maybe want veterans more in the depth. But I think it just shows you how much, again, the secondary is impressed so far, how much Spags trusts them so far, because, you know, I, I don't think it's overstated how much I don't think Stags likes to start rookies or inexperienced players. I mean, I, I think he really tries to, you know, make sure they earn it. And I think it tells, I think that's all you need to know about how good this young cornerback group has looked so far. The the other thought, thing I found interesting about is Lonnie Johnson Jr. was came to the Chiefs on a, on a conditional trade from, from the Houston Texans, right? So uh, if, if he met certain conditions on that trade, the Chiefs give up their seventh round pick, uh, you know, for his services. By releasing him now, they give him a chance to sign with somebody else, but they also pretty much guarantee that that whatever condition that was is not going to be met, right? So who else can you cut this time of year and actually gain a draft pick uh, by letting them go? I mean, I think the, the cut for Lonnie Johnson, I think that that may have helped seal his fate to say if they're looking at all else equal, yeah. the production from, let's just say, uh, Williams and, and Johnson – you know, the similar physical profiles of those two players, right? If you put those players side by side, you say, which one do we want to keep? Well, well, one of them, we just invested a draft pick in. The other, we can gain a draft pick by letting them go. It makes it a pretty easy decision. I would say so. I would say so. And they can just use that seventh round pick to trade for another veteran cornerback next year that they can cut before week one. So. Or, or draft another one because they just drafted two that it's are going to make the roster this year. That's it must true. be just that easy. <laughs> Ron, as we go to break, do you have a uh, do you have a would you rather for us? I do. And usually these are pretty fun. I try to make these kind of light. But uh, this is a good discussion, I think, that we'll pick up on the other side, Stags. Would you rather keep a fifth defensive tackle or a sixth defensive end, one or the other. I think we all kind of think they're going to go 10 defensive linemen, but whether or not they go heavy inside or heavy on the edge, that's what the question is. We'll hit it on the other side. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back on the Out of Structure podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you're always checking out the site, checking out the other shows on the podcast network. But for now, on this show, we got a Would You Rather that I left you guys on a cliffhanger at at the break. Would you rather have a fifth defensive tackle or a sixth defensive end? One way or the other, we're adding up to 10 defensive linemen, which 
hey, you know, I, I do think you could make the argument, you know, maybe one more, one less, but I think 10 is a sweet spot. I think that's what they traditionally keep. So Stags, when you hear that question, I think you kind of know, we're, we're kind of basing this conversation on a recent signing they've made with Danny Shelton, the defensive tackle. It kind of does make things a little weird in that room right now. I thought they were kind of good there. What do you think about this, the defensive line right now, or like how it's kind of, what do you think it's going to shake out like maybe? Yeah, it's interesting because I don't know that there's that many traditional roster battles going on in this year's training camp. I feel like it's a little bit lighter on, on roster battles as compared to previous years. So if, if you're looking at the, the way I am, for defensive tackles, Jones, Naughty, Turk Wharton are, are locks, right? And then you have a fourth spot where you've got Taylor Stallworth and Colin Saunders. And if, you, if, you, if this preseason game is any indication – those guys are in a dead heat there because both made an impact play behind the line of scrimmage, um, and, and and both you know are, are you know showing out in limited roles, right? So yeah. I, I don't know that either one of them is going to be a huge central player to this team, but you know if if all you saw was this week's game, you would think that they were in a dead heat. So that could be four if you keep one or the other of those guys. Now maybe you want to keep both. And that's your and that's five defensive tackles, or maybe Shelton now throws this off, and, and now you've either got to keep five or six, um, you know, to to accommodate all those guys. And then at the edge position, Clark, Karloftis, Dunlop, Dana, all four locks, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got Kando versus Malik Herring for the for the fifth spot. So, um, the question would be. The way you framed it, I, I think it's 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 a good question. Are we keeping Shelton and Saunders or Stallworth, or are we keeping both Kando and Herring? And and yeah. which one of those which one of those would would I rather? You know, I think at this point, at this point, I think that their their defensive tackle rotation is going to be pretty deep. And and I we talked about Shelton and as an as an addition. As somebody that we're not, you know, we shouldn't expect a ton out of, but it's not quite clear what their what their intentions are with with yeah. signing Danny Shelton, um, other than maybe like increasing the 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 food bill for for St. <laughs> Joe, uh, or uh, employing the, their tailor, you know, to make the yeah. uniform that fits that dude. But if they brought him in because they specifically see a role for him on the fifty three. Uh, now you're in a situation where you've got five that are, you know, you've got you've got four that are locked in, and you've got Saunders and Stallworth trying to be the fifth. Um, and so that's an interesting, you know, reframing of this question that we thought was just Stallworth versus Saunders. Uh, in this case, is it Stallworth versus Saunders versus Shelton? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it depends on on where Shelton fits in now that he just got on the field. I think the edge position is still has still has some question marks. I think the early returns on Clark, you know, the the remade Frank Clark looks good. I think Mike Dana looks like he's improved. Karloftis looks like he is at least what we thought he was going to be. Haven't seen much from Dunlop yet, but I think you know everybody's excited about him. But you still feel like they're they're one injury away of being really shorthanded uh, at, at that edge position. So normally you would go with the edge. And so you would say, let's keep Kando and Malik Herring. Uh, but I haven't seen a thing out of Kando 
uh, yet. Um, Malik Herring, I think, you know, had a couple of plays where he flashed a little bit this week. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that there's enough there to be excited about. So as super long-winded answer here, I'm just going to go ahead and go with the – I'll go with the extra defensive tackle um, and then just be interested to see how they are able to mix things up uh, with uh, with the group that they have with, with Shelton coming on board. Uh, I would really, you know, like to see – I think it's going to be a tough cut between Stallworth and Saunders if, if that's the case. Yeah, you know, this this Shelton is is just a it is a little perplexing to me because I I really think he is just a, a one tech run stuff, right? That's all he is. Uh it really is. And so you have that in Derek Naughty. That's all he is. He's not he has no real pass rush upside. So to me, it tells me that, you know, this is a kind of a you know breaking case of emergency or just a substitute for Derek Naughty. It's just a backup for Derek Naughty at that nose tackle position, at that one tack position, you know, obviously taking on double teams. You know, Saunders has the size to do that, but it's just not what he is, not who he is. And you know, maybe that's one of those things where they come into camp thinking, all right, like let's see if Saunders can be that guy, can kind of be a penetrator and a run stuffer. And hey, maybe he's not. Because I don't think Stallworth is that. I th- I think he I, Stall- you see Saunders, man. That dude is big. That dude is wide. That dude is huge. He does look like he should be able to maybe be a little bit more of a run stuffer than he is. Um, but all that to say, I, I the more I think about Danny Shelton, the more I think they do have a spot for him on this 53-man roster. And so I do think it does come down, and I'll agree with you, that I do think it's going to be 5D tackles because I don't think they're going to get rid of both Saunders and Stallworth. I, I don't know, man. I think it's a really tight battle between those two. But either way, I think it is five D tackles right now. I think I just think that's how it is. I think Danny Shelton's going to play that Mike Pinnell role, um, where you know it's they need that extra run stuff and D tackle. So you know, because Naughty can't play every you know every early down snap. I mean, I know it's not every snap, but it's you know it probably you know it, he's going to get hurt maybe at times. He's going to be banged up at times. Um, it's nice to know that they have a guy that's been in camp at least. You know, even if even if you know he's on the inactive most games, you know, like he's, he's on the 53, but he's not actually dressed most of the games. I think that could be a case. I think that could be what we see. So unfortunately that means, you know, some, you know, one of Herring or Kando gets cut right now. Yeah. I would cut Kando. Cause I, I really like what I'm seeing from Malik Herring. I just don't think the chiefs would do that. Right. Because you know, they invested a fourth round pick in Kando. That's going to be kind of hard to make that decision probably right now. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this before too, is there are maybe other ways to keep some of these guys around. Uh, whether it is whether they they really take a look at the market and and try to get a feel for if they if they cut this guy will he be picked up somewhere else and if you're pretty comfortable that any one of those guys could not only pass through the the waiver process but uh, but even be a street free agent that doesn't get picked up somewhere or that you can use a practice squad spot for them then maybe the initial cut down doesn't tell the whole story. Um, this year's practice squad rules, six players can have unlimited amounts of NFL experience and yeah, still be yeah. on the 16-man practice squad. So you could have a guy like Danny Shelton on your practice squad. Yeah, you know, yeah. somebody that is, you know, it sounds absurd to have a, a veteran like that and have him be a practice squad player. But if he's new to the roster, but they just wanted that extra depth break in case of emergency break glass, like you said, uh, call him up from the practice squad or – if you know a guy like Colin Saunders is not going to have a market in the other NFL teams, maybe he's either on the practice squad or maybe he's somebody that they felt like they could uh, 
just let him be on a street free agent and tell him, hey, yeah, stay yeah. ready. We'll call yes, you yeah. if we need you. So the roster is not just 53. It might be 53 plus the practice squad, at least those six spots, plus a couple other guys. So maybe your your 60th guy is is somebody who you're pretty comfortable is not going to sign with another team, and he can be there when you call him in case of emergency, in case of an injury. It's a good discussion, and I'm excited to see how it breaks down for sure. Um, now, and- Jack Kando could also be a practice squad candidate, right? Because he's he's somebody that that hasn't shown you know anything on film that would make other NFL teams just jump at the chance to to sign him. But maybe you still have some hopes to develop him down the road. So it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how they leverage that position. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that. Would you rather? Because it does really make you think. You know who are they ready to give up on, and and it'd be tough to see them to give up on a lot of those guys. I know, I know, and 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 teams don't want to, right? I mean, that's this. You know, NFL teams they want to keep everybody. I mean, they they think highly of all these guys until it comes down to this point, obviously. And Jake Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter actually asked a, a question about the defensive line, so we'll kind of transition into that here. He says Veach identified Kansas City's defensive line as a as its highest offseason priority, but didn't add a marquee pass rusher. Do the Chiefs DL additions, and he mentions Karloftis, Carlos Dunlap, Taylor Stallworth. Do these additions anticipate opponents trying to keep Mahomes and Casey's offense off of the field? Now, I think what he's getting at here is, you know, they didn't get the the high flying edge rusher that maybe the other AFC West teams did, but you know, did they maybe get better at defending the run and trying to maybe you know stop teams from you know turning out the clock like we maybe have seen at times against the Chiefs before I don't know what do you think Stags? I'm not sure that that the emphasis was necessarily on run defense over pass rush but I I think what they did was um, they went cheap (laughs) first of all like they they didn't spend big bucks especially for aging pass rushers so uh, that's number one number two they they really showed their faith in Steve Spagnuolo and, and gave him more guys that fit the exact mold that he likes. Uh, because again, all of those guys you're looking at are size length, you know, they're not necessarily speed rushers. Uh, and, and that's, that's been, you know, that's been Spagnuolo's profile for a while. So, yeah. so I don't know if it signifies any other strategic shift other than, you know, they really didn't, play at the top end of that market that speed rusher market uh they decided to trust the system trust the scheme now the one thing that you hope that this group and those guys help but some of the other additions do as well you hope that these guys are better finishers and i think they've been there's been some emphasis on that wrapping up tackling finishing a sack you know finishing a drive like I, i think They've been a defense that a lot of times has been close, but not quite. Um, and and you hope that some of these guys that like to hit, that like to, you know, that can be aggressive and, and move forward. You, you talked about Justin Reed, how quickly he diagnosed and came forward and made that play. Uh, Leo Chanel is another player who, you know, you, you don't think Leo Chanel is going to, going to, see a gap and, and go flying through that as, as fast as he possibly can and, and try to close out a play. So so I think maybe the defense has struggled to get off of the field partially because they struggled to tackle at times. They struggled to close at, at times. And so maybe they were looking for a, a new identity that is 
tougher, that is, you know, uh, more fundamentally sound when it comes to tackling. Um, and that's more of a Spagnolo group. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think all those guys do have those traits. So that makes sense. Uh, staying on the same defensive line kind of train stags, Matrick Mahomes too at not a Chiefs fan. What snap percentage will each of the edge rushers get? Now, I know it's tough to put, you know, numbers on this, but I do think there's an interesting discussion about how much they can rotate these defensive ends. Well, you did the research, right? So, so tell us how, how did they break down last year? So it is a little, uh, you know, a little skewed with Frank Clark because he missed three of the first four games of the season. But he did lead the defensive end group with 59% of the defensive uh, team snaps. Mike Dana was second with about 48%, and Okafor had 41%. Now, Melvin Ingram did join halfway through the season. Um, based on his game-by-game snaps, he played roughly 50 to 70% of the snaps, depending on the game. So all that to say, they kind of all were in the same range, right? I, I kind of all just mentioned numbers within that same range of about 40 to 60. And I think it could even be more uh, diverse than that this year, right? I just think they have this like little bit of a foursome right now that they could kind of, you know, none of them are that much better than the other one, right? Like they kind of all are, you know, I wish Frank Clark was not or was much better than like a Mike Dana or a George Carloffis, but He's not, and so they're all kind of similar talents, which kind of does make it interesting to have maybe an even rotation this year. The reason there's a reason I called them Clark Loftus early on in the <laughs> season, right? Um, but no, I think mathematically that makes some sense. If you got two open positions and you got four guys uh, available, if if all four guys play fifty percent of the snaps, you know that that's that makes that makes some sense. And I think having a healthy rotation is good. Uh, it keeps things a little bit less predictable. It keeps those guys fresh. You know, I, I think that's positive. I, I think Mike Dana having a, a big snap count, you know, is the only one out of there that I'm like, oh, I, you know, you feel like you should be getting more production than what Mike Dana is probably going to give you in those snaps. Yeah, yeah. But he gives you quality snaps, and he's fundamentally sound. And he's going to make tackles for loss. He's going to be, you know, doing his job. So, so yeah, I think those – those four guys, about 50% apiece, I think that's the target, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, because I mean, we've seen Dana in training camp. He's been in certain packages rushing from the inside. So, I mean, I think that may even help him get that snap number up a little bit too. And, and I, he was the first guy in the field, right? For uh, He was essentially yes. the starter this week. Yeah, and that is an interesting thing where he has been the starter all camp. I think it goes back to Spags wanting a veteran to start rather than you know a, a rookie. But I imagine that'll change, you know, sooner than later. Uh, I imagine Karloff, this will earn that starting defensive. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And and I don't think that's a bad thing if he doesn't. I think it just speaks to the the depth they have at defensive end. But Christian Gumminger, our guy at K Gumminger, who would you pick up or who would you pick for backup long snapper? Stags, this is a very important question. Who is our backup long snapper? It is. There's a proud tradition of the Kansas City Chiefs and the backup long snapper position this goes back years and years we've had this conversation almost every year at Arrowhead Pride whether or not it makes the air or not we've had this conversation I say this mostly seriously actually I mean uh, it goes back to Jared Allen was drafted you know he was a he was a pass rusher but he was also a long snapper and and there were reports that they liked him more as a long snapper than a, than a pass rusher, whether you believe that or not, you know, <laughs> is, is another question, but uh, they've had a lot of these guys in the past 
that could do more than one thing, the Justin Reeds of their day, right? Um, there was a maybe you don't remember, but Travis Kelsey has done some some long snapping. He did it in college. Uh, allegedly, he was he was amongst the best uh, at long snappers, or at least according to him, I think. Yeah. In <laughs> Travis Kelsey, I think, would be my pick uh, just because you know he can do it. He's got experience doing it. Um, I don't know if you have a better answer to this, and maybe I'm going to add a follow-up question for you here. Why is oh. it that senders are never long snappers? <laughs> that is weird, isn't it? Um, no, I do think you need to be a little more athletic than a center, right, because you are covering punts um, to, you know, uh, on half of your snaps. I know field goals are the other half. Um but that's about it. <laughs> that's about the only explanation I have. Uh, my my shout out CJ Perez. He's a center. Uh, you know, still trying to make it in the league. Played at Temple. He was a long snapper. So I can't say you know I, I all not all centers uh, ignore the long snapping. But um, it's, it's just interesting how you always have a specialist on the roster just for long snapping, and it's never your center that, that does it or even your backup center exactly uh, even just some sort of lineman that can pl- at least play offensive line in a pinch like we're not putting james winchester at guard or center if, if something happens right um i gotta say though my backup long snapper i'm calling kendall gammon out of retirement i mean like he he still he still can snap dude you, you don't lose that i gotta imagine yeah and you can't really get hit anymore right as a snapper so he'll be fine he'll be good there's there's nothing like the backup long snapper preseason conversation. It we're we're back. It's 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 go time. We're officially back. Film critique at film critique one on Twitter. Talking about week three of the preseason, uh, even though we still have week two to go. But I, I get it. I respect it. Any chance we sit all starters week three? We did a little research into the stags. Kind of looked at last year and saw that that wasn't the case. Right? It, it, the Chiefs offense. Both, I think both sides of the ball played a few drives at least. Yeah, it's it's a good question because whenever the rules changed uh, and, and they went down to three preseason games, you, know, you, you think back to what preseason was before that, there was always that fourth preseason game where your starters basically never played, right? And, and it was considered malpractice to put your starters in there. Yeah. I think we were just talking about the 2011 uh, Chiefs. I think Todd Haley played the starters a little bit in that last – preseason game and that's when tony moriaki got hurt uh towards acl and then the the following weeks they lost uh, uh jamal charles and eric berry to acl so i think there's that precedent was set a long time ago that you don't play your starters in that last preseason game at all when there were four of those games so when they shifted to three a lot of us thought well maybe now preseason game three becomes what game four used to be uh and then they just sort of shift everything back a week but it sure seems like what they've done is eliminated game four and just stuck with the 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 way that they did the other three games so by snap counts and correct me if i'm wrong but i think uh your take was that we essentially saw game two as a dress rehearsal game three a very light uh play from the from the starters is that right well i mean to an extent yes i guess I would still say week three is the dress rehearsal for the regular season. I do remember last year, and this is anecdotally, but I remember last year them talking about how compared to the other two preseason games, they actually prepared for the Vikings like game plan wise. Like, you know, the, the preseason games, they don't game plan for the defense. They just go out there and run their stuff. Right. But I think they did, you know, use it more as like a game week as like, all right, we're preparing, we're, we're running this script of plays against this particular defense, getting them ready for the regular season. But I do think, 
what you mentioned with week two, I think they will play more in week two. That's what happened last year. They, I think they played the whole half in Arizona last year. If not, if not even into the second half, I want to say. I could be wrong, but I think they did come out even in the second half. So all that to say, yeah, I, I, think, I think you'll see them play the most in week two compare, uh, you know, based on last year. But week three, I think, is still technically the dress rehearsal. They just may only play one or two drives. Which makes me happy since I'll actually be at preseason week two this weekend. Yes. So uh, anybody uh, who's listening and has a good tailgate, uh, make sure you let me know where to go. I'll be coming into town. Uh, actually with the family this time uh, to, to enjoy preseason week two. I'm hoping to make fans out of all of them. Yeah. So uh, even at, at, though my wife is not excited about that idea. So anything we can do to make that a good experience this weekend, uh, please hit me up with your ideas and suggestions. And, and uh, uh, hopefully I'll see some of you at the tailgates. Um, but yeah, expectation was that week three will probably be, like you said, maybe a little bit of game plan, a little bit of, uh, you know, making sure that they, they come in and out. In the past, didn't they uh, come out of the second half um, with with a drive in, in what we consider to be the dress rehearsal because they, they wanted yeah. to go through the halftime, you know, sequence and come back out in the third quarter. Uh, but you think that'll be week two this this time? I mean, just just based on last year, I remember. I mean, if you, if you guys remember the Arizona game, I mean, Mahomes played a lot. I mean, I remember breaking down that film, and it was like a, it felt like a whole game of film to break down. So, yeah, I do think week two will be that dress rehearsal. So, yeah, good thing you'll be there, Stacks. Looking forward to that, Tony Martin. Any news on Blake Bell? Well, Tony, as you know, we're not necessarily news breakers here, but <laughs> uh, we we have seen the reports on Blake Bell's injury uh, that it was. Uh, there was worries that it was a non-contact injury because it yeah. looked like he dropped without being hit. Uh, but they did announce that it was a hip flexor and that, that it started on his touchdown play and he did come back into the game after that point. Uh, so you would think that that would be a pretty positive sign uh, for his availability. And there's been some talk about like, is he going to go on IR? Um, you know, but uh, you would think that if it's, that all signs point to it not being that type of injury. I think so too, but I do want to give credit to Phil Wool Torton Renouf. Wow, that was a lot. At Philip underscore Renouf Runoff. If Bell is out, do you think Reed takes an extra lineman or running back? Now this is interesting because you know I don't know for sure if they're keeping four tight ends because they want to keep four tight ends, or is it because they have four tight ends they like and they don't want to get rid of any of them, right? So if they do go to only three tight ends and Blake Bell's maybe on, like you mentioned, IR maybe just to start the season, what do you, what would be your idea for how maybe they could fill that that uh, that spot on the offense maybe? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think if you look at the roles for each of the tight ends, the there's not a direct replacement for Blake Bell on the roster, uh, at least not amongst the top four tight ends that you would assume they would keep. Uh, Fordson and, and Gray are they've developed as blockers and I think both of them did a decent job of blocking last year but neither of them are that full-on inline blocker like you you would use a Blake Bell for plus who else is going to run the quarterback sneaks for Mahomes now if if Bell's not healthy right so so they're going to have to go out and look for another former quarterback inline blocking tight end and see if they can bring one of those guys in uh, but you know, in all seriousness, they might look for another tight end. Um, they might keep somebody a different position. I would love to see that be, you know, somebody like Jerry and Ely, who is a, 
listed as a receiver slash running back. We didn't see much from him in the preseason game, but he was a, a stud returner in college. Uh, he, he's got some juice in the passing game. Um, you know, he would be somebody that's not a direct replacement, but hey, if you have an extra roster spot, he'd that'd be a pretty fun way to use it. I agree with you. And that's why going into Christian, another question from our guy, Kay Gumminger, Christian Gumminger, who's the player you're the most upset being cut or, or who's the player you are most upset about being cut, but shouldn't make the 53. I, Jerry Neely is my guy. And, and like you mentioned, he's an exciting player. I do think there maybe is a chance that if they have another spot on the roster, they bring in a playmaker that obviously lines up at running back and receiver in training camp. It does seem like he makes most of his plays as, as a little slot receiver, which is cool. It's great. You know, I'm sure he could maybe contribute on special teams to an extent. Um, but there's just not really a spot on the roster for him. He doesn't really fill any sort of need. You know, they have the returners set in stone, it feels like. They have plenty of receivers. We just talked about that. You know, the running backs aren't super impressive, so maybe he can squeeze by Derek Gore and maybe get that fourth spot if they keep four, right? Maybe there is a chance that that's the case, but I still don't really see he has a spot on the 53, but he's such a fun player. I don't really want to see him go either. So, yeah, I'm not, you know, super excited about seeing him cut, but it's probably going to happen. Yeah, so this question, I'm going to read it a couple different ways, um, but who's the player that it, that you're most upset about not making the 53 uh, even though it's it's realistic that they might not be on the 53. So my my first thought goes to Lucas Niang because he's on the PUP now, um, hasn't been activated. I haven't seen any reports that he's about to be activated or that he's working out and, and close to being activated. There's a decent chance he's not going to be on the opening 53. He'll either be on the reserve PUP, which puts him out you know through, through half the season, uh, or – you know, something else happens and they, and they move on from him even. I would be pretty disappointed if that happened. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the guy has a lot of promise and I'm not thrilled with where they are at right tackle right now without him. Uh, so Lucas Ning is a guy that I had a lot of hope for. Um, you would love to see him all of a sudden tomorrow get a report that, hey, here's Niang running onto the field with pads on and, and he's being activated and ready to practice uh, and ready to, to compete for that starting job again. Uh, so if he's not on the 53, even though I shouldn't expect him to be on the 53, if he's not on it, I'll, it'll be sad. Yeah, no, I, I like that answer. It's a sneaky way of, of talking about, we don't talk about Lucas Niang anymore, um, which, you know, it's not like Wiley's, you know, holding that position down fantastically. I mean, they've even given Jaron Christian some first team reps in practice at right tackle. I do think they're, kind of maybe hoping that Niang can get back. I think they really would like him back in the starting lineup. I think he would be a better option than what they have, if healthy, obviously. I would like that as well. The the other one I was going to mention, though, is we talked about him earlier, Josh Gordon. I yeah. Think you would love to see Josh Gordon make this roster and, and contribute and, and uh, you know, regain his previous form, you know, best shape of his life and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, but it doesn't seem like it's in the cards, even though, you know, you clearly have your your wide receivers that have that have earned their roster spots. Uh, you know, yeah. when you see his name on the cut list, it, it's it's still going to be a little bit of like disappointment going to set in and say this is a guy who you know should have been a factor and and just just wasn't. Well, the Chiefs will be upset. The Chiefs will be you know sad about it because um, again, I know you've mentioned it, but it's just they have given him every opportunity. They they want him to make this team. They want him to contribute, but he just isn't. Andy Reid loves his second chances. That's that's for sure. That's that is one hundred percent true, and you got to respect it. 
Um, but Don Julio on Twitter asking us, you know, about the running game a little bit. Ro- Rojo get any looks with first, second team OL? I think he did get second team looks, right, Sag? That's, that's, I mean, yeah. I mean, he definitely got second team looks. And it didn't look great, but um, he did. Um, but Trey Smith overrated, underrated is another part of his question. Trey has his fair share of bad losses on tape, which is not a f- not uh, false. I worked that <laughs> wrong, but it's not false. But I don't think he's necessarily, you know, overrated because of that. I don't know, Sags. No. When you hear that, what do you think? Well, yeah, taking the second half of that question with, with Trey Smith, that was the knock on him in college was the the highlights were the best in the in the entire draft class. Uh, but he he had some lapses on on film. You know, it was it wasn't just the health thing that, that put him in in the sixth round. I think there was there was also some questions about his consistency. Yes, had he not had the health issues, teams would have overlooked that consistency and right. and, and brought him up a little bit earlier. But so yeah, he he's a guy that the his style of play probably is going to mean he's going to take some chances. And and there's sometimes he's just gonna he's gonna guess wrong or or, or lunge too much or you know, whatever, trying to trying to put somebody on the ground uh, as opposed to just, you know, being patient and walling them off like he's supposed to. So I, I certainly don't think he's overrated. Um, I don't know that he's underrated either. I think he's yeah. he, he's somebody that we think very highly of. I think the team thinks very highly of him. I think he's already made a name for himself in the league. Um, and, yeah, he'll have a few losses, but uh, he'll have a lot more wins. And, and he's the Chiefs are lucky to have him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think he's properly rated. It's kind of one of those rare players that I do think we think of him just the way we really need to. And I think even nationally, uh, but I also don't think anyone, you know, um, thinks he's bad. Although apparently Don Julio is, is maybe hinting at it a little bit. Um, no. And, and the other part of that too, with the, you know, with his style of play is like, he's a guard. He's not a tackle, man. If he was a tackle that maybe that style of play, you know, maybe it is a lot worse, right? Because if, you know, it, it's a lot easier. Your losses at tackle become, you know, bad plays for the offense a lot more often than your bad plays at guard or your, you know, your, you know, bad losses, as he mentioned. So, yeah, I, I do think being the guard, being a guard really helps him. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter as much if you're not maybe as consistent, um, but it does matter when he's pulling and knocking a dude, you know, two yards out of the way um, and opening up a hole. That's what makes you know. That's what makes him uh, worth uh, on the team, and and obviously he's just good overall. It's, it's just yeah. I mean, they, you watch the short yardage wins, and, and it's almost always right behind Trey Smith. I mean, there there's that's not a coincidence. That's not an accident. You know that that's a guy who who moves people, and and uh, uh, that's what he's there for. And when it comes to Rojo, now it doesn't feel like he's going to get any more reps with the first or second team. In fact, you might see his reps start to decline as they, they try to make sure that he doesn't get injured in the preseason before they either ship him off or, or, or cut him. I mean, it's, it's, it feels like it's trending in that direction at this point, not the other way around. Maybe something changes, but I think they're going to give Pacheco every chance to, to be that guy, and then they've got McKinnon as their fallback if they need him. I think you're right. I do think you're right. I do think maybe the third preseason game, maybe they give him some some run just to maybe you know last chance to for a team to see some something impressive and and, and trade for him or something. So well, Ron, we we always find a way to go long on these things, but uh, we have a quick maybe time for for your segments here before we before we end this thing. Do you want to you want to get into the remix a little bit? 
Remix. Read Remix. Anyways, with that time, yours. Yeah, I'll get into the remix. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I can't go into as much detail as I want because, yeah, we go way too long, Stags. We, we, we just love talking Chiefs. We love talking Chiefs with y'all. Um, but the, the, my read remix, well, it wasn't, you know, I don't call it the read remix anymore because it's not about offense anymore. I don't call it anything. It's just a weekly article now. So not as, not as fun, but I'll still make sure to put in the, sa- the sound effect right here. Uh, no, I, I talked about the linebackers this last week, and, and I just wanted to kind of, you know, lay it out, how the linebackers are going to be deployed. Because I do think right now in the base, we're seeing Mike or Nick Bolton as the Mike, obviously, Willie Gay is the Will, and then Elijah Lee is that Sam linebacker, right, over Leo Chanel. I mentioned in the article, but I just really don't see how that lasts. You know, I, I really feel like Chanel is going to take over that spot sooner than later. I know I kind of said that about Karloffis earlier too, but I actually would be more confident that Chanel wins a starting job at Sam um, faster than Karloffis earns that starting job over Dana on the early downs. And I think you saw it this week that, man, I think when he's just in the game, when he's just flying around kind of being instinctual, man, he is a really solid playmaker. And I really think you saw last year, week one was a perfect example of what it could be like, right? Nick Bolton comes in as the Sam linebacker week one. That's his only role. Although he did, I guess towards the second half, I noticed he did start to play more in the nickel, but at first he was only making plays out of that Sam linebacker position. And we saw that, you know, that helped him develop into getting more confident. And all of a sudden he was able to play 99% of the snaps in week 15 and be the dime linebacker. So I just think getting him on the field in those limited reps, that's smart. So I, I do hope to see Chanel win over uh, the Sam linebacker job over Lee sooner than later. Again, in nickel, it's going to be Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. I really think it's going to be one of the best, you know, uh, nickel linebacker duos in the NFL this year. I think just in terms of Willie's playmaking and Nick's, you know, just instinctual playmaking against the run, but also just his, it just seems like he's just where he needs to be. He does seem like a good leader. It does seem like he's stepped up and, and will call the, the defense well. Um, so I'm, I'm confident in the nickel defense for sure, but to, to end it, the dime defense is really what's important, really what's intriguing because Spags loves to run it on third downs on any sort of crucial situations. And we've seen it in training camp. Nick Bolton is that dime linebacker, which might be a little surprising to some people, but I do think it points to why, why Spags has always had Ben Neiman in that role is because he wants a Mike linebacker to play in the dime. He just needs it to be someone a little more athletic than what we've had from Anthony Hitchens the past few years. And I think he trusts Bolton to be both that Mike and also be athletic enough or enough of a playmaker to be an asset in the dime and not be a, a complete liability like Ben Neiman was before. So I, I, I think it gives you a little more uh, insurance against the run in case the dime gets run on or ran on, um, obviously, because Bolton's a better run defender, can shoot gaps a little better. Um, but I also, you know, I, I think he, he did have three pass breakups in that Chargers game last year when he did play 99% of the defense. I He is a smart player, and, you know, he's not going to be the greatest in coverage, but when he's flying around, man, he can definitely get his hand on a ball, you know, in those short areas, and that's what he did last year. And so – I don't know. I'm going to trust Spags on this. I'm excited to see Bolton in the dime linebacker position, and I'm excited to see him trust him to be a three-down linebacker. That means Nick Bolton is not coming off the field, guys. Like That means he is playing every single snap the defense plays, and that's just really impressive, and I think that just tells you all you need to know about how much he's progressed and how much the coaching staff trusts him right now. Now, there's a couple roles for linebackers that we've been pleading for for years that we're hoping to see that I haven't seen much yet. I was wondering if you have noticed a coverage linebacker, so somebody who's just been dynamite in, in coverage as a, as a specialist, as a linebacker, and B, a pass rusher 
out of this linebacking group, like somebody that they legitimately will line up and send on a regular basis as a as an extra pass rusher. Have you seen either of those two things popping up yet? Well, Chanel's college tape shows that he can get after the, the quarterback. Um, we haven't seen it yet in the NFL, I don't think. I mean, I don't remember any preseason or training camp reps of him blitzing or, or obviously we haven't seen anything of him actually coming off the edge, right, which I do think is, is a little bit of a possibility. You know, I mentioned the base defense. You know, if Chanel can be a rusher, man, that Sam linebacker's up on the line of scrimmage, you know, on those first and second down passes, man, he, he'll be getting after the quarterback. Um, especially if the tight end or the running back stays in to block. So, yeah, the, the Chanel would definitely be the pass rushing role in that. I mean, you know, we know Gay is the best coverage linebacker on the team. I mean, he obviously is. We've we've seen guys like Dorian O'Daniel in the past, you know, be, you know, an athletic linebacker that they use in the dime, but maybe just be in a special teams role. I think that's what maybe you could get out of Darius Harris this year. Um, I do think he's kind of got an inside track to make the team right now. I think they've appreciated – um, the fact that he's been around and he probably knows the defense pretty well. He's been here since before Spags, which is insane um, to think about. But he's still around, and, yeah, I think he's going to make the team this year. So, I don't know. I think he could be maybe that, that backup Mike that maybe plays dime in some situations because he's athletic and, and kind of maybe knows the defense a little bit more than, you know, if they throw in a Chanel. You know, they're not going to put Chanel in the dime defense because he's inexperienced and a rookie. So, yeah. Sure. I saw some some folks commenting about this first preseason game that there's uh, that Chanel had was exposing coverage a little bit uh, this week, and that uh, you know there's others like Carter who who you know hasn't been as good in, in coverage as as uh, as maybe Build when he when he came in. Uh, still feel like that might be a weakness for this team if they can get these linebackers in space, uh, especially manned up on, on somebody, then then it's going to be a a situation for quarterbacks to exploit unless it happens to be Willie Gay. Uh, if, if it's anybody else, then then it's it, is it potentially a liability still. Yeah, and you know what? Like that, You're right, but I do think that's kind of just a general NFL point nowadays. I do think, you know, the linebacker position is probably like the least important position for defenses to like get better at or like worry about. I mean, it's a, a great example is the rest of the AFC West. I mean, you know, they may have stacked up at edge rushers. They may have stacked up in the secondary, a few of them but everyone's linebackers are still bad. And I don't think any of them care. Right. Cause I do think linebacker is a little bit of a, you know, it's not as important as a position as it used to be, unless you have playmakers in pass coverage that can make you multiple on defense, like a Willie Gay can, where I wish they would use him in the dime so they can kind of fully use those skills. But, you know, you can really, you know, if you have a guy like Willie, like you can, you can really be, versatile against the run and the pass at the same time without like changing out your linebackers right that's not the case with any other ones like you mentioned you know i i, I do think we're going to see bolton get targeted and coverage in those dime defenses but that's why i'm excited to see if he how he responds and you know who knows maybe he maybe he's really improved and maybe he can take on those opportunities more but again i just think i just think that's kind of the nature of the nfl right now is that the linebacker position gets taken advantage of quite a bit unless you're one of these stud just truly athletic playmaking linebackers. And I do think we have one of those guys in Willie Gay. So I do think the Chiefs line, that's what makes the Chiefs linebacker group, you know, uh, really good, I think, honestly. Yeah, I think there was a couple of guys that came from the undirected free agent class that people were hoping would be that coverage backer, whether it's, it's Jack Cochran or, or Mike Rose. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure that either one of those guys has shown enough yet to be a solid candidate for the roster. So if it is Harris as the backup linebacker, uh, and it is Lee 
you know, with a spot there in, in one form or another, then, yeah, you have to assume that, you know, everything comes down to Bolton and Gay and then everybody else is just kind of filling in uh, around there. And you hope that Chanel grows into whatever role he's given and, and they build from there. Stacks, you know, I'm going to skip on rambling, man, rambling Ron this, this week, man, because, because, you know, it, it's, it's going a little long. I think the people are tired of listening, you know, to us at this point. I appreciate they, you. They got to be right. They got to be right. Yeah, who's ever listened to an hour and said, "Man, we need to we need to about twenty more minutes of this podcast." Uh, uh, no, it, you know it's preseason time. There, there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, you guys had a lot of great questions, so we appreciate you sticking with us, being here every week, all the way through the off season, now through the preseason. When we get to the regular season, you know we'll be talking about games that matter and and the outcomes of those games that have mattered, and and as this this team builds for this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, again, thanks for being here. Rate and review. Stick with us through the rest of the preseason. Uh, we appreciate you guys spending time with us, Ron. appreciate your time, as always. Sure. And uh, we'll see you all at uh, Arrowhead this weekend and, and back next week on this show yeah. talking about uh, a more exciting preseason game, maybe this, this second week, uh, with more from the starters. <laughs>